Welcome back to the program. What might our knowledge of history have been like if Snapchat had been around in earlier centuries? The good news is that it wasn't. In a time when people wrote letters, not texts or emails, those letters got saved and later curated. Letters that give us little glimpses into personalities, history, and the human condition at another time and another place. My guest, Sean Usher, has devoted himself to being a curator of many such letters. He is the founder of the blog Letters of Note, and now that's been turned into a book by Chronicle Books entitled Letters of Note, an eclectic collection of correspondence deserving of a wider audience. It is my pleasure to welcome Sean Usher to the program. Sean, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. How did you first get interested in collecting letters? It was five years ago, but then if we rewind, I think about 12 years ago when I met the, the lady that is now my wife, um, a, literally a couple of weeks after we started dating, she moved to Spain for a year um, with a university course. So for that first year of us being together, we were apart. <laughs> we hardly ever saw each other. Um, and we kept in touch and indeed fell in love through letters. Um, so it was at that point in my life that I realized just how important um, and powerful uh, written correspondence could be. Um, and then it wasn't until five years ago um, at which point I was a copywriter. I was very unhappy with my job. Um, and I went to the local library for a bit of inspiration, really. Um, and I looked through some dusty old books um, filled with old letters from people like Mark Twain, uh, Charles Dickens, all the, all the masters. Um, and I was instantly hooked. And I spent a couple of days with my head buried in these books, just, just kind of lapping up all this beautiful correspondence. Um, and within the week, I had a website up and running, Letters of Note, um, and it took off very quickly. So I kept, I, I featured these interesting letters of old on the website. Um, and then before I knew it, millions and millions of people were visiting the website each month, uh, which really blew me away. Um, and then three years ago, um, I decided to start the book, um, which is 125 of my favorite letters. Um, and it's been a hugely stressful <laughs> and rewarding experience, but I, I couldn't be happier with the book. Talk a little bit about that public reaction to it. So many millions of people going to look at these, and in some ways it does reflect the hunger to read these, but also the, the difference between letters and modernity. I mean, you talked about your own letter-writing experience. You could have easily kept in touch by FaceTime or Skype mm -hmm. or anything else. And I don't. I think if 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 my wife, my now wife, and I had kept in touch, you know, via Facebook message and text message rather than letters, I don't. I'd, I really think our relationship uh, would have suffered for it, and I'm not sure we would have even got to got to where we are now. This, when you sit down to write a, a physical letter, you, you're in a different frame of mind than when you write an email or a, a text message or a Facebook message. You're far more focused. You're willing to open up more and be more honest. Um, and just the act of writing itself, we were writing letters to each other, at, you know, as you do, over the course of a week. So I'd, I'd write a little bit one day, and then the next day I'd continue, and I'd really think about what I was writing. Um, it's a far more considered form of, of, of keeping in touch with people. Um, and it's also when you write an email to someone, you're expected to reply straight away. It, it's, it's, everything's far too rushed. Um, and, and, and we're worse off for it, definitely. But I think it was perfect timing when I started the website, you know, just as, just as emails and Twitter were kind of taken over. Um, a lot of people were really kind of 
um, intoxicated by these these this old. It's, it's terrible to say that it's a dying art form, but it really is. Um, and and it, it was just perfect timing, I think. And these, I mean, a lot of these letters are kind of self-contained stories. Um, they're, they're perfect for when you're at work and you just need a quick pick me up. Um, just just read one of these letters, or you know, conversely, if you want a quick cry um, during your lunch break, just read one of these um, romantic or uh, depressing letters. Um, it just seems kind of perfect for the internet age, which is which is quite ironic, really. It, there is this interest that comes along in these dying art forms or things that are old. We see it even in the music world with suddenly the interest in vinyl records all of a sudden. I mean, it's a yeah. similar kind of thing. Talk about some of the consistencies that you found in so many of these letters in terms of, as you say, they, they tell a story. There's something about the process of letter writing that's different. I think a great letter. I, I try to I try to choose letters that do stand on their own. Um, there are lots of letters I could have chosen that didn't really work without you know the replies. Um, um, it, it was I really wanted to choose letters that were kind of just gems. Um, but a, a good letter has a start, a middle, and an end, as it as does a good story. Um, good letters are always open and honest. Um, they're, they're, um, I'm a sucker for emotional letters. If, if, a, if a letter is clo even close to moving me to tears, I, I consider that a successful letter. Um, but it's not difficult to, to move me to tears now that I've got kids. Um, but I, I do. I'm, I'm a sucker for sad letters, so they're, <laughs> they're they are my favourites. Um, but yeah, you you just wouldn't get these stories uh, by email. And is there a difference between letters written by hand and those that may have been typed? I don't think so. Although, when I look at a letter that's handwritten as opposed to typewritten, um, I'm more inclined to. I think I'm more inclined to trust the message for some reason. Um, yeah. I'm not sure why. There's something. There's something incredibly personal about a handwritten letter, although a typewritten letter, you know, written on an old typewriter, um, is very personal. It's. it's um, yeah, a handwritten letter is the most personal of all. Of all written correspondence. And how did you begin to curate not only the letters in this volume, but the letters that you've been putting up on, on the website? When I first started, I, I went to the local library, as I said. Um, I looked through hundreds of books. I, I buy so many books, it's ridiculous, um, because especially old biographies of interesting people, because back in the day, um, biographies were based on people's letters, largely. Um, not so much these days, now that we're not writing any letters. Um, so I, I buy lots of old biographies and, and compilations of old letters. Um, I search on Google, or I did at the start at least. I'm in contact with loads of archives around the world. I've got good relationships with these places these days, um, museums. As the website got more and more popular, um, people started to send me the letters they'd received. So these wonderful letters that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Um, so I'm getting access to letters from many different avenues, um, which makes my job a lot easier, but also a lot harder because I have to try and pick the best um, and reject some. Um, so I'm sending my own rejection letters to certain people. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful problem to have. It's also interesting to see the medium that a lot of these letters are written on, everything from airline stationery in the Elvis Presley letter to typed on, on traditional kind of onion skin. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 I think that's one of the beauties of this book. You, you, you see a lot of pictures of the actual letters themselves. You can, 
you can you can see which which kind of paper they've chosen, which can tell a lot about a person. You can see the smudges. Um, you can see whether they've handwritten it or typewritten it. Just try to kind of suss out someone's handwriting. For instance, the Elvis letter uh, written on um, airline stationery. He's, he kind of scrawled that letter as he was mid-flight. Um, it's a beautiful thing to see. I don't think it would have worked half as well if you couldn't actually see his handwriting and the, and the stationery. Um, it just adds another dimension to the experience. Um, I don't think if it, I really wanted to make a visually rich book um, as well as an interesting book um, text-wise. Um, I don't think it would have been half as interesting if I'd have just included transcripts. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, the, just being able to look at these documents really tells you a lot about the the letter itself and the person that wrote it. And let's talk about some of the letters. I mean, I'm sure it's. It, I, if I asked you what your favorite was, it's sort of like the old question, which is your favorite child? Always a dangerous yeah. question. But there are some that, that particularly stand out. The Elvis letter is, is kind of fun to read, the letter to President Nixon. Just talk about yeah. that to start. This is, uh, it's, it's hard not to love this letter. Um, and it's, it's related to a photograph. There's, there's this famous photograph of Elvis and Nixon in the Oval Office, um, and it's the most requested photograph in the history of the National Archives in the U.S. Um, and it came about through this letter. Um, so Elvis Presley was a, a huge, huge collector of um, police badges, um, and he wanted, to, he wanted to own a police badge from every single state in the U.S., from every single force in the U.S., rather. Um, but there was one badge that he didn't have, um, and it was from the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. He hatched a plan um, in 1970 um, to obtain one of these badges, and the way he did it was he, he jumped on a, on his, on his, um, on a plane, um, took a flight to the U.S., uh, sorry, to the White House. Um, while he was mid-flight, he wrote a letter um, to the president offering his services as a, a federal agent at large. Um, and when he got to the, to the White House, he hand-delivered this letter to Nixon, to the White House, got a meeting with Nixon. Um, that's when the photograph was taken. Elvis gave Nixon a pistol, a Colt pistol, as a gift. Um, and in return, um, Nixon turned down his job application letter, but he did give him the badge that he wanted. Um, so you've got this incredibly bizarre letter um, that, that kind of lives in the archives and not many people know about it, but they do know about the photo that resulted. Um, it's just an incredibly bizarre story, and it's, a, it's just the perfect letter for this book. And talk about the letter from Groucho Marx to Woody Allen. Yeah, I, I, when I first started this project, I never realized that they were friends, but they were. They were pen pals. Um, and Groucho Marx and Woody Allen wrote to each other quite a lot. Um, but at one point... Um, Woody Allen got quite annoyed because Groucho Marx hadn't replied to one of his letters for quite a long time. So he kept badgering him. Um, and then Groucho Marx responded uh, with this very, very charming, funny letter um, in which he talked to, well, he went off on loads of tangents. Um, it's, it's a typically Groucho Marx. Um, it's, it's got his humor running right through it. And he talks about some stockings that stuck to his legs because he hadn't taken them off for so long. Um, it's just a, a very, very funny letter. Um, and it's just one of two that's, that have, one of two of their letters that have survived. Um, and I found it in an old book that hadn't really been circulated. Um, so that's quite a gem to be in the book. And were there letters that you knew about, that you had heard about, that you had looked for, that you couldn't find? So many. I'm, I'm, I've got a list of letters that I'm constantly searching for still, um, some, you know, five years after hearing about them. 
Um, and that's always going to be the case, I think. And it's hugely frustrating. Um, but that's the kind of chase I like. Um, there's a few letters in the book that started out as rumours, um, and I eventually found the letters themselves. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the most interesting parts of my job, tracking down these um, these, these elusive letters. Tell us about the letter from Jack Kerouac to Marlon Brando. Oh, goodness, yeah, that's, that's a favourite as well. So um, Jack Kerouac was uh, desperate um, for Marlon Brando um, not to just um, not to act, but to um, to produce um, on the road. So he wrote them this letter, um, and it, it begins: "I'm praying that you'll buy on the road and make a movie of it." Um, fascinating letter, and but Brando um, refused the offer. Um, there's another letter actually to to Brando from um, Mario Puzo, who wrote uh, The Godfather, the book, um, asking Brando to play The Godfather, which is another fascinating letter. So there's a couple to Brando in there, as, you know, asking for his input. You mentioned that you had a particular fondness for letters that are very moving, that that really ring out an emotional response. Talk about some of those. Uh, my favorite. It's, it's quite a famous letter. It's, it was written by Virginia Woolf, who suffered from you know, mental illness her whole life. Um, and the last letter she wrote was to her husband. Um, she wrote a letter, this beautifully moving, heartbreaking letter, and left it on the mantelpiece at um, their family home. It was addressed to her husband, Leonard. Um, and he found it the next day, um, which was too late. They, they, found Virginia's, um, they found her body in the local river. Um, with stones in her pockets to weigh her down. Um, I'll, I'll read some of it out. It's a, it's a beautiful letter, a bit tragic. Um, Dearest, I feel certain that I'm going mad again. I feel we can't go through another of those terrible times, and I shan't recover this time. I begin to hear voices, and I can't concentrate, so I'm doing what seems the best thing to do. You have given me the greatest possible happiness. You've been in every way all that anyone could be. I don't think two people could have been happier till this terrible disease came. I can't fight any longer. I know that I'm spoiling your life, that without me you could work, and you know you will, you will, I know. You see, I can't even write this properly. I can't read. What I want to say is I owe you all the happiness of my life to you. You have been entirely patient with me and incredibly good. I want to say that. Everybody knows it. If anybody could have saved me, it would have been you. Everything has gone from me but the certainty of your goodness. I can't go on spoiling your life any longer. I don't think two people could have been happier than we have been. V. So, uh, uh, just the most beautiful letter, but such a such a sad ending to to uh, such an interesting life. Talk a little bit about the use of language in letters and how you can see in the context of these letters how it's changed over time. It's well, it's formality. Um, e- even in the you know back in the day, back in the nineteen thirties, forties, even the most informal of letters were more formal. Than our most formal letters, uh, we've really kind of uh, we've slipped in regards uh, when, when it comes to formality. Um, speaking of language, there's a beautiful letter, um, and in fact, it's a job application letter, um, and it's just the most incredible exploration of the English language. Um, it was written by a copyright, copywriter called Robert Piroche, who wanted to become a screenwriter uh, in 1934. So he wrote this um, standard form job application letter and sent it to all the Hollywood studios, uh, producers and directors he could find addresses for. Um, and it got him a job with MGM, uh, and he went on to win an Oscar for one of his scripts. It's the most beautiful letter. Um, it, it's worth reading a bit. Um, it says, Dear Sir, 
I like words. I like fat, buttery words such as ooze, turpitude, gluttonous, toady. I like solemn, angular, creaky words such as straight-laced, cantankerous, pecunious, valedictory. I like spurious, black-as-white words such as mortician, liquidate, tonsorial, demimonde. I like suave V-words such as Svengali, svelte, bravura, verve. I like crunchy, brittle, crackly words such as splinter, grapple, jostle, crusty. I like sullen, crabbed, scowling words such as skulk, glower, scabby, churl. I like, oh heavens, my gracious landsake words such as tricksy, tucker, genteel, horrid. I like elegant, flowery words such as estivate, peregrinate, elysium, halcyon. I like wormy, squirmy, mealy words such, such as crawl, blubber, squeal, drip. I like sniggly, chuckling words such as cowlick, gurgle, bubble and burp. I like the word screenwriter better than copywriter, so I decided to quit my job in a New York advertising agency and try my luck in Hollywood. But before taking the plunge, I went to Europe for a year of study, contemplation and horsing around. I've just returned and I still like words. May I have a few with you? <laughs> so that's the most, I think that's my favorite ever job application letter and it's <laughs> such a beautiful one to read, but, you know, both to yourself and aloud. It's, it's incredible. Some of them also have a very practical application. I was particularly fond of, of the letter, almost a memo, really, from uh, William Sapphire at H.R. Haldeman about the event of a moon disaster. Yeah, this is one, apart from the Jack Ripper letter, I think this is the most chilling one uh, in the book. So this was uh, 1969 um, when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were on the moon um, and the, you know the population were, were looking on. Uh, in awe. So the presidential speechwriter sent this memo um, to Nixon's chief of staff. Now the memo included a speech to be read by Nixon should these astronauts not return from the moon, should they become stranded on the moon uh, in front of millions of people. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly chilling, um, but it's, it's a, a stark reminder of the fact that, you know, they were really ready for any kind of eventuality. Um, and it's, it's headed in event of moon disaster uh, and it begins fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace these brave men neil armstrong and edwin aldrin know that there is no hope for their recovery but they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice um, and then a bit later it says uh, in ancient days men looked at the stars and saw their heroes and the constellations in modern times we do much the same but our heroes are epic men of flesh and blood is beautiful uh, but then at the end as well it's got some uh, instructions for the president to, to, um, to um, it says the president should telephone each of the widows to be just that term widows to be um, you know really chills the bones right. uh, it's an incredible document also the idea of a letter from Ernest Hemingway to Scott Fitzgerald oh yes <laughs> this, this, I really love this letter this, um, I found so many amazing letters um, Ernest Hemingway was such an incredibly honest and raw letter writer um, and he wrote to uh, Scott Fitzgerald um, to give him his opinion on Tender as the Night um, shortly after it had been published. It's such, <laughs> it's such an engrossing letter and it's so very honest, you know, he really doesn't hold back. Um, but it's a letter you would, I suppose you would want from a friend, um, a beautiful letter of, of advice. It's quite a long one so I can't really read it out but um, yeah, it's one of my favourites definitely. The other letter that was so surprising in, in From and To is the letter that Gandhi writes to Hitler. Yeah, but this, so this was the start of the World War II, um, 
and Gandhi wrote a letter to Hitler essentially saying, you know, can you stop in, for, for the sake of humanity? It's an incredible letter, very short letter, but very, you know, concise and to the point. Um, essentially asks him to stop what he's doing. Um, it was intercepted by the British government. You know, Hitler never received it, not that I think it would have made much difference, but it's an incredible document to have as, as a, you know, um, just, to, just as a reminder that Gandhi would actually send it to him. And he, he signs off um, as, as Hitler's friend, uh, which is also quite illuminating. Um, but it's one of two letters that Gandhi wrote to Hitler, um, both of which uh, didn't reach him. Which of these letters do you think that the writer would have been least happy to have it become a public document? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> that's a very good question. I don't think I have an answer for that. Um, no one's ever asked me that. Um, I don't know. Goodness me. Um, let me think. I mean, you you just wonder that, I mean, so many of these are, are older letters and so many from yeah. people long gone. How they would feel about these some of these letters being public? Yeah, I mean, what I've done with the book, there's the, the, there aren't really any scandalous letters, you know, letters that paint mm. people in a bad light. Um, there are a couple on the website. I mean, you know, I have to get permission from these people to, or their estates mm -hmm. uh, in many cases because they've passed away. I've had to spend three years kind of getting permission to to reprint these letters in the book. So I've kind of covered my bases in that respect. And there's nothing really scandalous. Um, I have many, many letters that I've not published, um, either on the website or in the book, because they do paint people in a bad light and they would, uh, I'd quickly get sued. Um, so I've been quite careful in that respect. Um, so it's not something I've really worried about. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a good question. Talk a little bit about the volume itself and, and what you've included in it. And as you mentioned before, pictures of these letters, but but really, that that doesn't do justice to all that's in this book. Well, the, when I first began, I, the one thing I wanted was was a beautiful coffee table book, and it really is. It's, it's a big, hefty book, um, something like four hundred pages. Um, so, for for the majority of the letters, you get to see um, a beautiful photograph, well, in many cases, beautiful photograph of the letter itself. Um, there's a inter short introduction in which I kind of contextualize the letter and give you enough information uh, with which to enjoy the letter fully. Um, then there's a transcript um, for every single letter, just in case you can't make it out, because quite a few are um, um, illegible. Then when we couldn't find a picture of the original letter itself, we've got a picture of something related to the letter. So either the letter writer um, or the person that received the letter, that some of them are illustrated. These are all original illustrations. Some of these photos have never been seen before. Um, so it's a, it's a really beautiful book. Um, and we really didn't, you know, it's, it's not the cheapest of books um, to buy um, because it was an expensive book to make. Um, because of those things I've just mentioned, also because of the permissions we've had to we've had to get. I want to talk about another letter that was really chilling, which was the Mark Chapman letter. Yes, the, oh, goodness me, this is um, actually forget what I said before. This is the most chilling. This is the most chilling. It's also the cheekiest letter uh, you can imagine. Uh, so this was uh, Mark Chapman, who, uh, for those that don't know, he shot and killed uh, John Lennon. Um, but just like immediately before he did shoot and kill him. Um, he asked John Lennon to sign a copy of Lennon's album, Double Fantasy. And there's a, there's a famous picture of John Lennon signing this album of Mark Chapman's, with Mark Chapman in the photo. It's, it's, it's an incredibly chilling photo as well. Anyway, six years later, at which point Mark Chapman was in prison, 
he wrote a letter to a memorabilia expert um, and he said to him, I have a copy of this album um, and it's signed. Um, how much would it be worth? Um, it's absolutely incredible. Um, really, really very chilling. How did you come to that letter? That was, it was, it was released. Um, it, I mean, it's been quietly, quite um, widely circulated um, in, in the past few years on the internet. Um, and, and that's how I came across it. I think it was on a, a, a newspaper published a, a copy of it. Um, and it's a public domain letter, so it's free to mm. use. Um, yeah, I, was, I wasn't too sure about using that in the book, but I just couldn't, I couldn't resist. It's such a, such a fascinating letter. And finally, one of the letters that's fun to read is the letter that Scott Fitzgerald wrote to his daughter. Um, so yeah, F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, he wrote um, a, a lot of letters to his daughter, um, one of which was this just beautiful letter of advice um, in which he lists, uh, she's, at, she's at camp at this point, um, away from the family. So he lists all the things that she shouldn't worry about. Um, he says things like, don't worry about popular opinion, don't worry about dolls, don't worry about the past, don't worry about the future, don't worry about growing up, don't worry about getting anybody getting ahead of you, don't worry about triumph, don't worry about failure unless it comes through your own fault, don't worry about mosquitoes, don't worry about flies, don't worry about insects in general, uh, and it goes on and on. It's a beautiful letter, um, and letters of advice like that, especially to kids, um, you, you know, young people, um, they're, they're definitely my favourites. Um, there's a beautiful letter in the book as well from um, the most unlikely of sources for me, uh, from Iggy Pop to uh, a young fan who was having a terrible time. Uh, she was 15 at this point, so she wrote to him uh, because he, for some reason, included his address on one of the inlays to his um, his albums at the time. Um, so she wrote to him and said she was having a terrible time. And Iggy Pop wrote back, hand wrote this two-page letter of advice, and it was just so generous and personal. Um, and it really kind of um, uh, boosted my opinion of Iggy Pop. Not that I thought he was a bad person, but it really kind of, you know, it, it was just such a moving thing for him to have done. And are there future volumes planned? Yes, yeah, so I've, I've just finished my uh, my second book, which is out this October, which isn't to do with letters. Um, but next week I'm beginning work on the second Letters of Note volume. Because, um, you know, this is 125 letters out of the billions that have been written. So I've, I've not even scratched the surface. Um, I'm really excited to start on the next one. Sean Usher, the book is Letters of Note, an eclectic collection of correspondence deserving of a wider audience. It's just out from Chronicle Books. Sean, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.